morning. Luke chapter 16, we're going to read several verses, the first 13 verses in the chapter, Luke chapter 16. If you're familiar with the Gospels, Luke chapter 16 is mostly known for the story of the rich man and Lazarus and the Lord Jesus' description of hell. But at the very beginning of this chapter, he gives an illustration and he gives really a parable uh, about um, about stewardship. And that's what I want to talk to you today and for the next several weeks is really about stewardship and what that is and stewarding our lives by faith. The series, the mini series, the next four weeks is called Stewardship by Faith. But today we're just going to begin by talking about biblical stewardship and understanding it. What does it mean? What is it all about? Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. If you would stand with me, please, for the reading of God's word. We're going to read down the first 13 verses and try to make the sense of this as best we can, according to the Holy Spirit's help. And so Luke chapter 16, the Bible says in verse 1, and he said also to unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and he said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I can't dig. To beg, I'm too ashamed. Verse 4, here's what I'll do. I'm resolved what to do. That when I am put out of the stewardship, I'm put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. Now he's talking, the next verses tells you what he's talking about. I'm going to go to the people who owe my Lord, they know me, and I'm hoping that they'll receive me. Here's why, verse 5, so he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, how much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, take thy bill and sit down quickly and write how many? Fifty. How much did he owe? A hundred, but how much did he ask for? Okay, verse seven. Then said he to another, and how much owest thou? And he said, an hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, take thy bill and write four score. That's 80. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I said unto you, make to yourselves friends of the mammon of, un- of unrighteousness, that when you fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. Verse 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you your trust the true riches. And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? Verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. And let's pray once again this morning. Father, thank you again for your word. I pray now that you will speak through me. I yield myself to you, Lord. I just want to be your mouthpiece. And I ask for your Holy Spirit's help to to get out of your way and then to just fill me and use me. I pray that you'd help me to give the sense. I pray, Father, that you'd help us as your people, that you would give us understanding of your word, that it would have free course amongst us so that when we leave here, we'll be better equipped and prepared to touch this world in a way, Lord, that would mark a difference in us. Lord, help us to live as your children. In Jesus' name I pray. 
Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. According to the Bible, the preaching of God's word is to include the whole counsel of God. In other words, there's no topic, there's no subject that that confine, uh, within the confines of life that is supposed to be neglected. In fact, Paul wrote to his protege, Timothy, I charge thee therefore before God, who's the one that calls us, and the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that saves us, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. He then goes on to say, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itchy ears. Paul is simply telling Timothy that there are things that people want to hear from the Bible, and there are topics that they need to hear from the Bible. And as a preacher, you must make sure to preach it all. The things that they want to hear and the things that they most need to hear. Now, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I have only preached on stewardship one time in the last four years. And that is my fault. For that, I am I apologize to the Lord in, in this week uh, because stewardship truly rests at the foundation of our faith. Now, what most people don't understand is that Christian stewardship goes far beyond giving a tithe. It goes far beyond paying a tithe to God of our income and then using the remainder as we please. In fact, stewardship is actually one of the oldest topics in all of the Bible since God in Genesis chapter 2 put Adam in the Garden of Eden and commanded him to dress and keep it. Now, the fact is, you see, a steward, according to the definition, is someone that manages another's well-being. Specifically, in this case, manages another's wealth. This particular steward in the Bible, in the parable Jesus is giving, forgot that he was a steward and began to act as if he were an owner. He became, as you would say, perhaps a prodigal steward who wasted his master's wealth. In fact, I want you to go back and look with me in in, uh, Luke chapter 16. Look at verse 1. And he said also unto the disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward. And the same was accused unto him that he had, what's the next word? Wasted. What is it? Wasted. That word wasted means that his wealth began to dissipate. It began to diminish. In other words, the landowner gave everything over to the steward. He was to manage it. Now, remember, in Bible days, wealth was not measured normally in money. It was measured in land. It was measured in uh, possessions. It was measured in livestock, things of that nature, things that you could grow. All of that was a barter system. And so as the landowner gives over to the steward the managing of his wealth at this location, it wasn't odd in Bible days, by the way, for landowner to come in, buy a piece of land, get some people to work it, and then go off to his house. It wasn't odd for that, especially in the Roman Empire. So here Jesus is giving a parable that people would understand. This is normal. And yet the Bible says that that steward, instead of managing it the way that the Lord would have him to manage it, the Bible says that his wealth began to waste. It began to diminish. And so his master heard about it, immediately asked for an inventory of his goods. I want an audit of the books. I want to see what your stewardship has brought for me. Then when he realizes that his wealth has actually gone down under the stewardship, what happens? He fires the steward. The steward loses his job. Now, before we judge this man too severely about the managing of his Lord's goods, of all of the blessing of the landowner, let's examine our lives to see how faithful we've been as stewards of what God has given to us. By the way, God is the supreme giver. I'll say that again. God is the supreme giver. 
He has blessed us richly and we get to enjoy the fruit of that blessing in all things and in all ways, according to the Bible. Now, if that's true and it belongs to him, then we're his stewards. And we're going to show that that's part of understanding biblical stewardship. So I want you to consider some things today in order to understand biblical stewardship. There are three primary principles we've got to consider. First of all, number one, if you're taking notes and I hope that you will, is the principle of ownership. The principle in ownership. Now, in our text, there's a Lord. There's no, there's no getting around it. Everybody that reads it understands that there was a certain rich man that had a steward. And we know who it all belonged to. We know that it, it belonged to this rich man. The landowner, and what we need to understand, is that it was perfectly normal for this landowner to be absent. And so he gave his trust over to this steward. Now, I want you to consider this matter of ownership. Letter A, I want you to remember the privilege of ownership. The privilege is no doubt as to who owns the property, is there? It's not the steward. It says that there was a rich man. In, in, in Luke chapter, uh, in a previous chapter in Luke, it talks about the Lord of the land. So the, Lord, the landowner had the privilege. There's no doubt as to who owns it. It's the Lord. This is something that human beings have forgotten. That is who and what belongs to whom. Now, the Bible is very specific as to what belongs to whom. Notice in your notes in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then shall be a, shall ye be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. Notice the last line. For all the earth is mine. Can we say that to the last line together? Ready? For all the earth is mine. Now, can I ask you a question? Who's speaking there? God is speaking. Very good, Miss Judy. To whom is he speaking? His people. In Exodus, he's speaking to, to Israel. He's saying, listen, I brought you out. And here's what I want you to understand. I'm going to fulfill my promises in you. And I'm going to make sure you get everything that I have promised you according to my covenant. And in doing so, you're going to be my peculiar treasure. And he adds this line at the end. Not only are you going to be my peculiar treasure, I want you to get it in your mind, the privilege of ownership. I own it all. The land that you're going to inherit, I'm giving to you. He says in this verse, I even own you. You are my peculiar treasure. And to settle it all, he says, the whole earth is mine. Again, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, it's interesting to me that in Exodus 19, they've just come out of Egypt. Now they're starting this journey together with God. And God says, I just want you to know it's all mine. Now, the, those people who he spoke to in Exodus are all dead. Now in Deuteronomy in chapter 10, he's talking to their kids. He's preparing them in the last month. He's making disciples and he's getting ready to usher into the land of promise. And notice what it says in Deuteronomy 10 and 14 in your notes. Behold, the heaven and the heavens uh, and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God. The earth also with all that therein is. So it wasn't like God spoke to the parents and said, I just want you to know who I am. And what belongs to me? The privilege of ownership is that I own it all. I own you. I own the property. It's all mine. But then when they're all dead, instead of just taking for granted that somehow those people that didn't trust God, that that truth was going to be disseminated faithfully, he says to their kids, I just want you to understand that the heaven and the heavens of the heavens is mine. Oh, by the way, the earth also. Oh, and by the way, all that therein is, it all belongs to me. Now, let's be honest. All that we are and all that we have uh, has been given to us by God. And it all belongs to him anyway. 
In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, what know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which ye have, uh, uh, which is in you, which ye have of God, listen, and ye are not your own. See, the problem today in biblical stewardship is that not only do we not understand it, we don't live it. We don't live as if we belong to God. We don't live as if everything in our possession belongs to God. I worked for this, it's mine. I'm an American, this is my right to have it. And God says, wait a minute, I want you to understand something. You're not understanding the principle of ownership. You're not understanding the principle of ownership. It all belongs to me. Now, secondly, if there's a principle, there has to be a parameter, letter B. Parameters of ownership. Because the owner knows what he wants and expects, it's up to him to communicate that expectation to the steward whom he would choose. Now, that's true in our text in Luke chapter 16. How do you know that? Well, because the rich man came back to audit the work of the steward. The Bible uses the word give an account. We understand what that means. And so as he comes back, it's with the expectation that the steward knew what was required of him. Does that make sense? So the, he wouldn't come back and give an account if the steward was ignorant as to how he was supposed to manage. So when he came back, it was with a line, a benchmark. This is what I expect. I'd like to know, how am I doing now? Am I increasing because you've been a faithful steward? Or am I decreasing because you've wasted? And we fact, in fact, we find out what happened. Because the owner knows what he wants and expects, it's up to him to communicate that expectation. Now, he would, that is the, low, the Lord of the place, the Lord of the owner, the Lord owner, would set the boundaries and expectations and then make them clear so that there would be no misunderstanding about obligation and responsibility. That's the Lord's responsibility. Would you agree? God says, hey, I want you to understand this principle. And, and as the Lord of all, God uses the Bible to communicate to us considering our or concerning our stewardship so god has taken full responsibility to tell us hey listen everything on this planet belongs to me it started with adam i want you to dress and keep what's mine i want you to make sure that it stays the way i want it to stay so he communicated that then as you go through the bible god says okay now that everybody understands the privilege of ownership that all belongs to me i want you to understand what the parameters are of my ownership I want you to know what I expect, and God delivers that. First Timothy 6 and verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not, notice the word, high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, notice, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. So here in the New Testament, God is very clear I've blessed you and given you that which you have, and it's for a reason. Not that you would be high-minded and proud as to what you think that you've earned, but rather you would see it as the gift of God. And as you receive the gift, what does that mean? It's the opposite of high-minded. You should be humbled that I have been able to enjoy all these things richly. And he says specifically that I would be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Why? Because the parameters have been given. This all belongs to God. How then could I be greedy? How then could I be covetous of that which I have and not be ready and willing to communicate that which God gives me in order to do? The Bible says in Ephesians 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Now the fact remains, as we've, been, as we've sung, God is so good, He has been very good. 
And he's good to us every day. And he's been good to us in what Jesus said is the unrighteous man. And we're blessed people. We are blessed people. Okay. If you live in a house, you're blessed. If you ate yesterday, you're blessed. By the way, some of you probably already ate today. Some of you probably looking forward to eat this afternoon. And probably at least a couple more times, probably snacks in between. That's all a blessing of God. You have clothes on your back. That's a blessing of God. All of this, Jesus would say, is the unrighteous mammon. Not that it's bad. It's just mammon. It's physical responsibility. It's, it's, it's a physical stewardship. But wait a minute. In Ephesians chapter 1, God says that he's given unto us and blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Now, see, to me, that is talking what Jesus said is the true riches of God. In other words... How valuable is the grace and mercy of God to you? Do you manage that grace? Do you manage his mercy? What about the love of God? Do, do I manage the love of God? What is that? That's the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God is ours to manage. You say, well, wait a minute. Isn't he supposed to manage us? That's it. You got it. We're supposed to be subject to his management. But you know, as well as I do, we can tell the Holy Spirit what to do. Very quickly, very easily. And we have. So my point is, if it all belongs to God and he gives it all to us, then as the owner, his privilege is to communicate to us what he expects and then to give an account of it. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, that's communicating to us. True stewardship means that we thank God for all that we have and use it as he directs. Would you go back with me? Just put your place there in Luke 16 and go back with me to Deuteronomy again. Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this may be a place you may want to mark in your Bible just to remember some truly great principles are right here. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Verses 11 through 18. Now, again, let me just set the context for you so you can gain the, the, the value of the weight of the statement that Moses is making. The children of Israel are about to go in and inherit all that they have done nothing for. You understand the power of that statement? They're getting ready to go in. They're going to eat off of vines that they didn't plant. They're going to live in houses that they didn't, that they didn't build. They're going to drink out of wells that they didn't dig. They're going to take of the olive trees and they're going to take of the animals that they didn't raise and plant themselves. All right. Now that's promised to them. God says, it's all mine and I'm going to move off these people and I'm going to set a table for you because I can provide a table in the wilderness and I'm going to give it to all of you. All right. Now, God's warning to them of all of the blessings of God runs parallel with the privilege and the parameters of ownership. Notice, if you will, in verse 11, the Bible says in Deuteronomy Chapter 8 and verse 11, beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast been and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein. And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, 
where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. Verse 17, and thou say in thine heart, my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. Wealth, verse 18, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. God is very clear. If you get a paycheck, I gave it to you. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that the same or completely different from the world's philosophy? It's completely different. See, the Christian life and part of the spiritual blessings is that we not get high-minded about what we have, what we earn, what we possess, but that we Stay humble and realize that what I have, I have by God's grace. That God hath given thee the ability to get wealth. Um, if you're if, if you're athletic, if you have a mind for a certain way, or you have some talent in some specific way, I hope that you understand God's the one that gave it to you. God gifted you with that mind. Um, if you're one of those particular smarty pants that always got straight A's, and you just think, well, you know, Education's just always come easy for me. I never had to study for a test. And some people are sickly, grossly blessed with a, you know, one of those uh, photographic memories. They just look at something, take a picture of it, and it's all good, right? They never have to uh, think about anything else. Do you know where they got that, God? People are gifted in certain ways, and it's all a gift of God. What happens is that we forget the principle of ownership, and we take ownership of that. And instead of stewarding the gifts of God, all the blessings of God in spiritual places, all the physical blessings of God, instead of stewarding that and remembering the posturing and the the disposition, uh, not the posturing, but the disposition of, man, this all belongs to God. Lord, help me to be a faithful steward of that. Help me to be sensitive of why you've given me this and how you've blessed me. That's part of understanding the principle of ownership. And that's where it all begins. Every parable that the Lord taught about servants and stewards. And by the way, there's a lot. Jesus taught over and over and over again. The parable of the talents here in Luke 16. Previously, four uh, four chapters before this, it's another parable. It's all about how these people are managing something that's been given them and entrusted to them. So the principle of ownership is where we begin. Secondly, I want you to see the principle of management. The principle of management. Now, if you go back with me to Luke chapter 16, we want to read here. A steward manages another's wealth. We know that. He does not own that wealth himself, but he has the privilege of enjoying it and using it for the profit of his master. Think about this. The landowner left and the steward is in charge of it all. He gets to live in the owner's house. He gets to eat of the owner's flock. He gets to smell the owner's roses. He gets to do all of that. Now, it's at a price. Certainly, he has to work it. He has to manage it. But he gets to enjoy it all, even though it's not his. He still gets to enjoy the blessing. He has the privilege of enjoying it and using it for the profit of the master. The most important thing about a steward is that he serve his master faithfully. I'll say it again. The most important thing of a steward is that he serve the master or the owner faithfully. When he looks at the riches around him, the steward must remember that they belong to his master not to him personally, and that they must be used in a way that will please and profit the master. 
And so I want us to think about this matter of management here, this, this stewardship. Letter A, the steward then manages by the Lord's advisement. We talked about, remember, God communicating and the Lord communicating to the steward. God is the employee's, uh, God's, uh, God's, uh, God's word is the employee's handbook. All right. Um, how many of you, when you got a new job, was handed a handbook and they said, look, you need to read this and then you're going to need to sign a paper saying that you've read it all, right? Okay. We've all had a job like that. And most of the time, what do we do? We take the whole thing, we open the first page, we look at the index and we go, dude, this is like 340 pages. So we go through the index, we read the first part of maybe every chapter, and then we go to the end and we sign it off. Yep, read it, understand it all. Really? And they, by the way, they know that you don't have, that you don't read it all, but they're just required by law to do that. Now, now that, that's probably normal amongst many of us here, is that we didn't necessarily read it all, and in some cases, that's our detriment. Isn't that sometimes the way we treat the Word of God? The Bible is our employee's handbook. If we're truly servants of God, and by the way, I hope that you are. I hope that you've surrendered to serve God with your life. If we're servants to God, then God's word is the employee's handbook that guides us as to how we're to manage the blessings that God has given to us for his glory. Um, for instance, let's just go back and, and, and see a few horses that we can talk about or a few blessings. Um, God's given us wealth. He actually says, honor me with it and I'll manage the rest. Now think about that just for a moment. Honor me with your wealth by the way that I own and I've given to you, and I'll manage the rest. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. And the Bible in the next verse says what God's going to do because of it. He's going to be the one to increase that. He's the one that's going to make it come, bound, come back several fold. Why? Because I've decided to honor the Lord with it. Now, that's a blessing from God. That wealth that God gives me is a gift. I've given the ability to get wealth, so I need to remember that principle of ownership. But there's far more in concerning stewardship. For instance, God's given you time, which is the most valued commodity on all the earth. Just ask someone who's been given an hour to live or six months to live. Um, ask someone how valuable a minute is when they just missed their train or they just missed their plane. Ask them, how valuable is that minute? If you could get that back, how much would that, if I could get you on this plane? Oh, it's, it's monumental. Uh, it, it's all valuable and it's so valuable that God has chopped it up in little bitty pieces and given it to you one minute at a time. Now that's value. Um, how many of us would like to have some time back? Yeah, my daughter's graduating this year. She's going to be going out to college. I want all of it back. I do. Every time I let go of one of my children, it drives me up a wall emotionally. Actually, it kicks me in the dirt and throws me in a ditch, but it bothers me to no end. And I think I just haven't had enough time. No, really, it's I've had all the time that God has given me. And that statement is just a misstewardship of the time that I've had. And every child that leaves reminds me, does it not, Vicky, that the next one that I've got, I better take more time with. And the next one I've got, and, 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 and I don't even mind them, the, 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 top, the, the original three, the original gangsters in our house, the top three, uh, uh, I don't even know their names anymore, Tom, Dick, and Harry, Ashley, Preston, and Austin. They would look at the lives of Jenna and Brayden and say, well, I wish we'd have had that. And I agree with them. I wish they would have had the time that I had with these two. 
And, and, and I want to make sure that I realize that that time that God's given me, or even with my wife, can be taken away tomorrow. That quick. There are people in this room that understand that and can say, woof, man, I need to come back and say, wait a minute, my times are in his hands. And that's a gift. Every day, I talked to Brother Reynolds today. He said, I, I woke up today, and any day I wake up, that's a good day. The alternative is a blessing, but it's good to wake up. What does that mean? It means that God's given you another opportunity today to steward his blessings. Time is valuable. In fact, Ephesians 5.15 tells us to redeem the time, for the days are evil. Here's another one, the gifts and abilities of God. 1 Peter 4.10 says, look, I've saved you, and I've got, you know the beauty? We, we talk about the eternal creativity of God when we look at creation, and, and I've watched a few shows lately and seen some animals I've never seen before in my entire life, and it just reminds me there's no end to the creativity of God. There are parts in this universe, there are parts of this own planet that have yet to see the true nth degree of the eternal creativity of our God. But you know, you really don't have to go looking through all the the planets and digging in all the ditches and turning over all the leaves in the Amazon and all places to see all these different things to think, man, how amazing is the eternal, the eternal creativity of God. You just have to look at people. That's all you have to do. Because people, as beautiful and strange as we are, are all different. We're all different. And we've all been given gifts to be different. Not everybody is outgoing. God had to make some shy people to calm us all down and make us feel uncomfortable when we're around you to remind you, you're just a big mouth. You need a hush, right? Not everybody makes his friends as easy as other people. Not everybody has the same gifts and talents, but all that we have been gifted is supposed to be used for the glory of God. It originated in heaven. Where you originated, where God said, hey, this is the plan that I have for you and for her and for him. And this is the place and time I'm going to set them. And God in his infinite wisdom gave us what he gave us to fit in a specific time to be used for his glory. And yet, what do we normally do with the gifts and talents? Well, I'm kind of gifted in this way. You watch it all the time on program. I'm gifted this way. So I just started to start my own business and use that so I could make money. Instead of using it to give glory to God. You know, he took a, a lot of flack over his career. And he never really excelled a whole lot. And succeeded the way the world saw it. But there's one thing that Tim Tebow did very early on in his career. And that was that he was willing to say, my talent comes from God. And I'm going to give him glory for it. So every touchdown that I throw, every touchdown that I run, from, run, into, run to, I'm going to bow and I'm going to give honor and glory to God. And he was very quick to do that. Very few, but several athletes are willing to do just that. Kurt Warner was another one. Washed up. Didn't, everybody thought there's no way he's going to make it. God brought into his life a woman that had been abused and had a family. They got married. They were both Christians. And he just decided, you know what? Anything that I do is going to be for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. And if you're going to interview me and not want to hear about him, then you're not going to interview me. But if you do, then I'm going to give glory and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that gave me the ability to play football. You see, moms, he gave you the ability to be a mom. To your kids. Don't, don't mistake the fact that you look at someone else's kids and say, I wish I had those kids. No, you don't. 
you couldn't mother those kids. And, and God's given all of us those things. That, that's all gift. Do you understand that? Am I making myself clear? God's given us all that. I'm beating a dead horse. Another thing that he's given to us is the gospel. He's entrusted you with time. He's entrusted you with wealth. He's entrusted you with gifts and abilities. And he's entrusted you with the gospel. Now the question is, what are we doing with it? He's given us the most precious thing in the world. The grace of almighty God. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And he's given it to you. Is that a gift? Or do I see that as a burden? No, it's a gift, friend. The gospel of Jesus Christ is how you got saved. It's what brought you out of darkness and put you in light. It's what made you, instead of a child of disobedience, a child of the living God, that's what made the difference is the gospel. And he says, I'm going to give it to you and I'm going to entrust you with that. First Thessalonians 2, 2 Corinthians 4. Now, all that God has given to us then is supposed to be managed by the Lord's advisement and secondly, for the Lord's advantage. Go back, if you will, to Luke chapter 16 and look at the parable there was a certain rich man which had a steward and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods and he called him and he said unto him how is it that notice that i hear this of thee give an account of thy stewardship for thou uh, thou mayest no longer be steward our motivation as a steward of god is to manage our lives in such a way that god gets the glory that he gets the honor and he gets all the praise what is that it's for his advancement, not ours. The Bible says in Matthew 25 and verse 21, his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Let me ask you this. How much of your life's decisions are made for the honor of God? How many of your life's decisions are made so that God is honored, that he is glorified, that he's the one that gets the attention. That's the glorifying, that, that God would get notoriety because he's the one that's communicated to you. Listen, I, I, I bought you. It cost me my son and I don't regret it. And I love you. But I'm, I'm communicating to you that that love and the goodness that I have showed to you as the holy God, I, 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 I'm hoping that that will result in a life that's lived for my glory. And what gives me most glory is when you take your, steward, your, your stewardship and you use it that others would know that there's a God in heaven, that he created them, that he's the redeemer, and that others would see, man, it's better to give than to receive. That there's a life that's different, that is laying under the surface of all that this world has to offer. And God says, that's the life I have for you, but it requires a stewardship. The principle of ownership, the principle of management, and then thirdly, the principle of requirement. The Bible says in verse uh, 2, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship. It's very clear in this parable, and in every parable, the Lord mentions servants or stewards, that there's an expectation. In our text, as in the rest of the Bible, it's clear that the steward knew what was expected of him. It's very clear. What does God require of his stewards? Well, the children of God who are managing their lives that have been blessed with the presence of God. We've been blessed with the forgiveness of God and his grace. We've been blessed with mercy and love and joy and acceptance. Not to mention the fact that we eat well, we dress well, the houses that we live in are awesome. Now, what do you think he requires for all that? Well, 
there are two things, actually. First of all, letter A, he requires faithfulness. He requires. 1 Corinthians 4.1, let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in what? Stewards that a man be found faithful. It's required. God's been so good to all of us, and it is such a privilege to be cared for by him. It's such a privilege. You, you, can't, you, you can't say amen to that without remembering, wait a minute, the principle of ownership. I have to understand that first. It's a privilege to be cared for by God and that he would call us his own. Yet with all that we've been given into our hands requires a responsibility to manage it for the glory of God. Luke twelve forty eight, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. To whom men, uh, I'm sorry, and to whom men have committed much, of him that will be asked the more. So there's a measure of faithfulness that we need to live up to. That's the requirement of God. And God says, okay. And, and we find it in, our, in a parable that we read. If you're going to be faithful in this, I will give you more. And then I will require with that more, more faithfulness. Does that make sense? And then as you stay faithful to that, I will give you the more. Now see, all of us think that that's a measure of economy. And finance, and we equate only so much, and, and we need to ask God to break those chains and, 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 and think outside of this physical realm. If I manage time properly, how much time will I get back from God? All right? Many of us would say at one point in our life, especially if we were in college at all, I wish there was a more time in a day. I wish there was more hours in a day, Right? And yet, if we were to effectually and effectively for the glory of God manage our time, how many of, how many of us would have, we wouldn't need more time, we'd have plenty of time. Most of the time, it's not more time we need. Most of the time, God is trying to say, you just need to manage it better. You need to be more careful with your time rather than asking me for more time because there's no regrets in the will of God. If it's for the glory of God, and I'm doing this with the mindset that this is a gift from God, then what God, what God requires is faithfulness. And then the result is his blessing, a required faithfulness. Secondly, the other requirement to stewardship is a required reckoning. In verse 3, it says, Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer be steward. An employee doesn't look forward to their annual review normally if they've been slacking their responsibilities. How many have ever had an annual review? How many still do? How many still have an annual review? Okay. You, you, you still have someone you have to answer for, and you have to give an account for your job and duties. If you've been slack in those things, if your attitude hasn't been well, you, that's the longest walk is the hallway to the boss's, uh, to the boss's door. Uh, I'm going in for my annual review. Hey, how's it going, Kyle? No, not too good. Why? I'm going for my review. Oh, I'll pray for you. You know what I mean? If you've not been faithful, listen, you don't look forward to that, do you? But if you've been faithful, then you actually do look forward to it. Because more than likely, you're going to get a good on you. You're going to get an attaboy. You may get a raise. You may get a promotion. You're going to get something positive in return for your fidelity to your duties. Does that make sense? The fact is, on the other hand, someone who has done their job and shown some initiative and management skills will normally get promoted. Now look at verse four. I'm resolved what to do. So he lost his job. And then what does he do? He goes to all the Lord's debtors and says, hey, listen, um, I've not done this well. 
but I want to make it up to my master. He's worthy of it. I've lost my, by the way, he's lost his job. There's no reason for him to do this, right? He's lost his job. You're no longer going to be my steward. But he's like, you know what? I'm willing to do anything to get back in the favor of my Lord so that I can show him not only did I do wrong, but I'm willing to do whatever it takes to do right. Look at verse four. I'm resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto him first, how much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, take thy bill and sit down quickly and write 50. So he goes through this, uh, this measure of stewardship now after he's no longer a steward. So he's not bound to the requirement anymore, but instead he realizes what he's done wrong. And, and, and to be honest, I, it's a parable, so you can read into it however you want. I'm going to read into it this way. I don't think he thinks he's getting his job back. I think he's just doing it to make sure that his master knows that he's worthy of it. I don't necessarily want my stewardship back, but I've not been faithful and I want to make it up to you. So he goes and he does all of this. Now notice what the Lord did in verse 8. The Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. You see, people who are not saved many times see the benefit and the value of making up something that they've not done well than Christians do. It seems like people who are wrongly motivated many times make better choices than Christians because they have worked for it. And the Christians have just been given it all. Sad. Verse 10, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the true riches? And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? You see, the fact of the matter is, God says you're going to give an account. And based on what you do, you're going to be rewarded. There is coming a day when you and I are going to have our own review before the Lord of hosts. The king of all kings, the God of heaven, and he will be and we will be held accountable for one thing, our stewardship of all that's God given to us, our marriages, our children, the time that we've been given and all of that with the truth of God's word, all that we have been given by God. We will stand before the living word of God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous God of heaven. And we will give an account for our stewardship. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 9. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. What's Paul saying? I'm a steward. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are manifest in your consciences. You see, Paul said, look, I know where I'm going one day and I'm going to give an account and I want you to understand you're doing the same. You may not labor the same as I. You may not be gifted the way I am and I'm not gifted like you are. We may not have all the equal time and the equal wealth and the equal relationships. It may not all be equal, but at the throne of God, the measure of what I do with my life is not based on what someone else has been given, but on what I've done with what I've been given. Somebody say amen right there, just so I can know you're awake. The fact is, God says, that's going to happen for all of us. It's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment of God. The body of David Livingston was buried in London, England at Westminster Abbey. In a place of honor where he was born. 
But his heart was buried, his physical heart was buried in the Africa that he loved. His life was lived as a stewardship of all that God had entrusted to him. He wrote in his journal one day, and I quote, I place no value on anything I have or may possess, except in relation to the kingdom of God. He said, if anything will advance the interests of the kingdom, it shall be given away or kept only as by giving or keeping it. I shall most promote the glory of Jesus Christ to whom I owe all my hopes in time or eternity. At the foot of a tall tree in small Africa, in a small African village, the natives dug a hole and placed in it the heart of this man who loved, uh, whom they loved and respected. That's where David Livingstein's heart was buried. Why? Because everything he had was given to the cause of Christ. For what the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made known unto salvation. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. God says, listen, I want your heart. Because where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. If your heart were to be buried in the place you love most in life, where would it be buried? In your pocketbook? Would it be buried in appropriate in appropriate space down at the office? Would it be buried in a sports book, sports magazine? My, my heart is this. My heart is that God's people would understand that everything that we have has been given to us. And that that perspective and the, the, the whole the understanding, the principle of ownership changes the perspective of everything if we'll get a hold of it. I hope we'll pray this morning that we would have a heart committed to stewarding our lives for the glory of God. Maybe this morning during the invitation, you could find some place in this auditorium to kneel before God and say, Lord, I've not been a good steward, if that's the case. Or you would say, God, I'm so thankful that you reminded me today of my stewardship. And Lord, I, I've tried to do my best to be a good steward, but I, I want to do better. I don't know. I don't know how God would speak to your life. I know this. God owns it all. He's given it all to you. And I know one day you're going to get a, give an account for it. Wouldn't it be better for the judgment to begin now in the house of God so that we could look forward? John says to look forward to his appearing, that we could stand before him without shame. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving us this old doctrine of stewardship. Lord, it goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. Lord, I, I want to thank you for all that you've blessed me with. And Lord, that includes this ministry. And I, I want to thank you for, uh, Lord, the word of God and, and guiding us into all truth. And uh, Lord, I, I've not spoke on this subject in a long time. And I've asked you this week even to forgive me for that. And, and Lord, I pray yet today that you've used the message in, in the hearts of people. I pray that we would get a hold of the principle of ownership, the principle of management. And Lord, that we would... Remember that there's a requirement that we be faithful. And God, I pray that as you speak today that people have listened. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in individuals' hearts and lives as you see fit and as they need the most. With heads bowed and eyes closed, would you stand with me together to your feet as Jenna begins to play? And I just want to take some time this morning and I want to ask you to pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for your stewardship. It's always a good thing to start out, Lord, search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. How's your stewardship 
with God. Let, let me ask you this. How's your relationship with Jesus Christ? Because I find most often that if my relationship with Jesus Christ is off, my stewardship is off. Amen.